0: Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is reminding businesses of the Curb to Compost program, which allows businesses, restaurants to have food waste collection. And this is an important next step in your businesses or restaurants recycling program. You're tuned in to episode number 176 of the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories, connecting Jackson Hole to the rest of the world. Quote of the day for me to share with you, and here it is. The value of life lies not in the length of days, but in the use we make of them. A man may live long, but get very little. That's by Michael Montaigne michael or michelle was a 16th century french philosopher think about that that was written back in the 16th century and all of our episodes are possible through the support of our sponsors and today our sponsor is teton county solid waste and recycling do you want to be a better recycler well guess what there is an app for that called the recycle coach app now available for Jackson Hole locals and visitors. An additional support comes from the Jackson Hole Marketplace. We've got a little badass deli down there. Check it out. Go visit Lauren and Steve and see how the marketplace can fill your tummy. Welcome to the Jackson Hole connection and welcome to the space and place I want to share with you. While I have you, please consider following me and this podcast on Instagram or Facebook And we'd love, I would love to see, hear some feedback on those channels about this episode and other episodes you've listened to. That helps other people find this podcast and then enjoy it as well. Because this podcast is all about sharing, it's people sharing their story and sharing who they are. And we all have a story which should be shared. And to ease on into today's episode, imagine we're sitting together on some super comfortable couch you're on a couch i'm on a couch it's in a cozy fire heated room and we've just invited someone over for visit our visitor today is tim sandlin tim's a father husband writer and valley local for many many years now tim first visited the valley back in the 60s as a young adult when his father would come out here and work in the summers in the park as a young adult tim found his way back to jackson hole and figured out how to enjoy summers as he saw fit and make use of the winters to survive. As a writer, Tim has written and published several books. He'll tell you today how many. And has written several movies as well. And some of those movies were made into films. With Tim's quick wit, he will certainly entertain you and provide some thoughts you might not have known about this area from the past. Tim, thank you for joining me today at the Jackson Hole Connection with you being in your sunroom. I hope it's warm on this chilly afternoon.
1: It's great here. Sunny.
0: It, It looks like a very comfortable place for you to sit and have a conversation. It is. So, Tim, tell us, how did you get connected to Jackson Hole? Where'd you grow up and how'd you land here?
1: Grew up in Oklahoma. My dad was a teacher. Um, back then teachers got three months off every summer and he worked for the national park. So I've been seasonal here since 1959 when he came up the first time he was a surveyor that year. And then in 68, I started working at signal mountain. And then as soon as I could get out of Oklahoma, I came up for good.
0: And what allowed you to get out of Oklahoma?
1: Um, Well, I didn't like it there, and the summers are terrible, so I was seasonal myself for a few years, 68, 69, Signal Mountain, 70, I just kind of, I don't know what I did, I hung out in the town square mostly, and then um, I started living on national forest land four, five, six months a year, and I was so much happier and healthier here that I would just add an extra month every year. And then by 75 or so, I just made it permanent. I wasn't very, I was a hippie in Oklahoma and I wasn't very healthy. And up here, it was great. So where I was happy.
0: Was Jackson, in the sense of being a hippie, can you define that?
1: Well, in Oklahoma, it was was the unhealthy kind. Up here, I I was living outdoors um, that wouldn't, really be a hippie. I don't know, but I enjoyed it. And I lived a uh, clean and and a good life up here. It's like when you're happy one place and you're unhappy the other place. Go to the place you're happy and stay there.
0: <laughs> Makes <laughs> sense.
1: My advice, yeah. <laughs>
0: and when you were first coming out here in the late 60s and early 70s, what was this area like? What was it?
1: Well, I've, you know, being up in the national park, it was fairly close to what it is now. It just wasn't near as crowded.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Town, of course, was quite a bit different. There were only something like 5,000 people in the valley back then. But the problems were all the same. Nobody had anywhere to live. And, you know, we all fought over the same things we fight over now. Nothing's really changed in 50 years as far as local politics goes.
0: So the politicians haven't solved any of the problems yet.
1: Um, Not that I know of. Cable TV came in, when was that? It was 77 or so, and that kind of changed everything. People had something to do in the winter besides be outside. And then we got an extra radio station, and then we got the extra movie places. And uh, late 70s, it was kind of a big change as far as things to do in the winter and then in the spring. That was a big jump there, but everybody knew everybody, which isn't like it is now.
0: And when you decided to stay here full time and you weren't, were were you still going to work in the park in the summer and doing something here in town in the winter?
1: Um, No, I only did the park in 68 and 69. The... I tell interviewers I had 40 entry-level jobs, but to tell you the truth, I never really counted them. I think it was pretty close to 40. I closed a lot of restaurants. I would start working, and four months later, they would go broke. (laughs) And back then, a lot of restaurants closed for the winter. So I would pick one of those, work until it closed for the winter, go on unemployment, and write a novel as fast as I could before next spring when I would start working in another restaurant. Did that for a while.
0: What did you do in the restaurants? And what are some of those restaurants that you worked at? Well,
1: I went from dishwasher to manager. I was manager of Mama Bear's, uh, dining room manager of the Chateau, which was one of the worst restaurants in Jackson Hole history.
0: That's why it's not here anymore, huh?
1: No. Where Uh, was that? It was down between the Wharton Square. Mm -hmm. Not sure what's in there now. Um, I worked at the Lime Duck for about six years, three years, and then I took a year or two off, and then three more years. That was the longest. I was prep guy out of the Mangy Moose at one time. Did gardening for the Rockefellers. I was an elk skinner for a, a big game processing company. I had a lot of funky jobs. My favorite was uh, trail inventory for the Forest Service push this little wheel like the highway patrol measures skid marks about 300 miles up to the Grove on mountains, measuring trails and finding trees that were down and things like that.
0: So the forest service paid you to just walk the trails and measure them.
1: No, it was more or less volunteer. I think I got $10 a day and they let me, I had a teepee and I had it up at crystal Creek Mm -hmm. for like six months. They didn't chase me out. And so yeah, I hiked all summer long for, uh, for a living. That was great.
0: You said that was over at, at Crystal Creek?
1: Yeah, Crystal Creek's where I was living at that time.
0: Is, um, Just
1: past the Crystal Creek campground. There's a beautiful little spot there on the creek.
0: Is that down by Gapucci?
1: Um, No, I think it's a little past. It's by Red Rock Ranch.
0: Oh, okay, okay. The
1: the creek flows through Red Rock, and then it comes in and hits the Grovant River right at that Mm -hmm. campground. Okay. So I think Gap was about a half a mile or so downstream. Okay. I'm not real sure. I don't know which one of the hunting camps was his.
0: Yeah, I don't know either. I'm working on getting him to come and sit down with me, but he's trying to finish his third book right now.
1: Mm. Sounds great.
0: Yes. And you just mentioned something interesting that um you'd write a novel in the winter as fast as you could
1: yeah i had to get it done before summer when i had to go back to work and uh, move back outdoors so i wrote four novels during that little period that have never been published and then i started actually publishing them
0: and why during that period did those four novels never get published
1: Uh, they weren't very good and uh (laughs) I didn't know anybody. I would send out like a hundred query letters and nobody would ever read it. I could have been writing classics, but nobody ever read a word that I actually wrote at that time. So it's probably for the best they weren't classics.
0: And what was your trade or what pushed you to say, hmm, I'm gonna write a novel so I can make a little bit of a living here in the wintertime?
1: Um Well, I've just always been a writer. That's all I ever was or could be. I got my first writer's market from the Valley shop in 1964, which later split into Valley Books and Valley Office Supply. It was down right by where the Chateau ended up being, actually. And uh, I didn't get published till 87, and I wrote pretty much every day between those two events. Almost every day, not
0: quite so you were writing for this local bookstore/office supply store?
1: No, that's where I got my writer's market. That's when you kind of start thinking of yourself as a pro, you buy a writer's market and it tells you where to send your stories and your books and all.
0: Oh, okay. I
1: was a 14-year-old kid and I bought I bought that. I still have it downstairs. Saw it yesterday.
0: And at what point did you consider yourself a writer?
1: Uh, right from the beginning, I guess, I don't, I mean, there are people who think you have to be published to be a writer Mm -hmm. there are people who think you have to write to be a writer. Then there are other people who think they just have to say they're a writer and act like they're a writer, but they never write. When I was teaching writing, I ran into a few of those, but I thought of myself as a writer, you know, from 14 on actually before that, uh, and then at 37, I started getting published. So I guess that would make it more or less official.
0: What was your first book to be published?
1: Sex and Sunsets. It was about getting drunk in a cowboy bar and chasing women, basically. (laughs) It was an obsessive thing. I like The Graduate. Did you ever see the movie The Graduate or read the book? When that came out, it was a romance. And now, all these years later, it's a stalking movie, so... My book went from being a romance to being a stocking book somewhere over the last 30 years, which is too bad. Cause I thought it was a romance. And then the movie got made about four years ago, five years ago. And it was optioned for like 30 years there. So I get a little check every year.
0: For sex and sunsets.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, well, congratulations for going yeah. into a movie.
1: Well, the option was better than when the movie actually got made that, kind of the gravy train ended, it was better to get paid every year than to get a fairly big check at the end and then the movie comes out and disappears. Oh, But I worked on the movie for 12 or 13 years myself. A lot of drafts.
0: And if somebody wanted to see that movie now, can they find it on how they find it?
1: It's called Right Kind of Wrong. It was, uh, you just have to Google it because it's been on all the different streaming devices at one time or another but i don't know if it's anywhere right now it was on apple for a long time mm-hmm. it was uh icelandic air if you were to fly to iceland
0: i have to go take a flight to watch the movie you
1: would uh get to see it uh, there it traveled the world it uh never did go very far i mean as far as people watching it but it was i was made in canada i went up to uh it was Canmore, right outside of Banff. That's where they shot it.
0: Okay. So at at this time, how many books have been published that you've written?
1: Well, 10 novels and two books of columns that I wrote. One for the Jackson Hole News and one for the Jackson Hole Magazine. The magazine one just came out about a month ago. So you might as well push that. Go to a local bookstore and buy a copy. Well,
0: what's the title?
1: Uh, Somewhat True Tales of Jackson Hole
0: somewhat it
1: is, it's the i write two columns a year for the magazine and so this is 30 years worth of columns uh, in this book so it well, kind of shows you how jackson's moved in the politics and all over the 30 years
0: well do you have a humorous uh somewhat true tale that you would like to share with us
1: do i have a somewhat humorous true tale well, I did run into a woman who thought that if you drove in reverse and on ice and snow, it meant that you had front wheel drive. <laughs> <laughs> and so she was backing up the pass pretty quickly. I thought that was funny, <laughs> uh, things like that. In the book, I noticed that I would like write a column 20 years after I'd written a column and I would steal for myself. So there'll be two or three columns on Old Faithful being fake and uh, lots of bear columns and
0: things like that. That is hilarious. You've seen quite a bit in your few years of being here in Jackson.
1: Well, we're pushing 60 now. So, yeah. In fact, we're over 60 now,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: counting the summers. I don't know if summers count or not. There's always this big argument whether seasonals are locals or not. The seasonals think they are locals they don't they're kind of snobby about it
0: yeah you have some locals who might be snobby about it and they might not even be a, have been here as long as you
1: well yeah that's everybody it's anybody who got here before i did is a local and anybody who got here afterwards is an invader pretty much how this town works oh
0: juice! so your your most recent book somewhat true tales of jackson hole you yeah. you can be found at valley bookstore or and Jackson
1: Hole Book Trader. And
0: Jackson Hole Book Trader. All right.
1: And Amazon if you do that, but what? buy them local.
0: It's nice to support the local businesses. Yeah, buy
1: them from those two.
0: Yeah. I've had Wendy on here for Valley, the new owner of Valley Bookstore.
1: That's nice. Yeah. yeah, I like the new store.
0: Yeah, it is out. a nice new store. And so you've written two novels. You no, have two 10 books. novels. Ten novels. Ten novels, two books of columns. How yeah. many movies? Have you written?
1: Well, I've written 11 for hire, but only three of them got made. But you can make a lot of money writing movies that don't get made. That's <laughs> Most of my income has come in the last 30 years. So that's kind of fun. It's art by committee, but mm-hmm. if you like your committee, it's a lot of fun.
0: How does that process work?
1: um well if it's my books they call me up and say do you want to write a movie and i go sure and they option the book which means they get exclusive rights to it Mm -hmm. and then after a long usually it's quite a while 10 12 years they actually make the movie and then they purchase the book and then it either comes out or it doesn't and uh then the other ones they call you up and say if we gave you this job how would you go about it and you give them what's called a pitch. Which means you give them a bunch of free ideas. And then, about one out of every seven or so, they actually hired me Mm -hmm. to do the uh, right script. But none of those got made yet. There's two or three that are still floating around out there.
0: Well, you said three have been made. We know the name of one, right? Caught name. Kind of of wrong. Kind of wrong.
1: And there's Floating Away, which is based on Sorrow Floats. And there's Skip Parts, which is based on Skipped Parts.
0: Are those on the streaming services as well?
1: They're pretty old. You might be a... uh, Skip Parts was on Amazon plus about a month ago. I don't know if it still is. Uh, What's that one about? It's about a couple of kids uh, out in what is now Kelly who... In 1963, they were the only kids in their school that read. And so they got interested in each other. And uh, it's kind of a coming of age thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of colorful, off colorful. And there's four of them that are all have the same characters. It's a four book trilogy that goes from skip parts to sorrow floats to social blunders to a book called Lydia, which is sort of an extra one on there.
0: It's a three-part trilogy, you said.
1: It's a four-part trilogy. Those are where <laughs> Douglas Adams wrote them for Hitchhiker's Guide, so I figured I could too. All
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> and what about floating away?
1: That was based on Sorrow Floats. That one took me forever, but I got to you know, I'm in a couple of them. Um, it was the guy in Crocodile book Dundee, Paul Hogan. What was his name?
0: That sounds right.
1: Lausanne it Arquette. Um, it's about some AA guys who get a trailer full of Coors and take it to the East Coast to sell it. Because back in those days, since Coors wasn't legal on the East Coast, you could haul Coors to the East Coast and sell it for huge amounts of money because everybody wants what they can't have. And then they have all these ventures. It's like a road book and a road movie. And uh, the woman, Rosanna, it starts out with she gets drunk and puts her baby on the top of her car and forgets and she drives around town with the baby on top of the car. And they take it away from her uh, and they take it to the fathers in North Carolina. And that's why she needs to go to the East Coast. And that story, you actually see it in the paper about once every 10 years.
0: Somebody leaving their child on the, leaving the their, car.
1: Yeah, they put their kid on top of the car to unlock the doors and forget.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's how it starts.
0: Oh man, that is that is wild.
1: Yeah, everybody should run out and buy a book, <laughs> or you can get them in the library.
0: Now, in the pre-show, you had mentioned something called the Jackson Hole Writers Conference.
1: Yeah, that's been going 30 years too. It's every summer. The last couple of summers, we've had to go, like, where you can't, not live, virtual. And we're hoping to do it in person this summer and virtual. And we bring in eight or nine agents and editors and five or six or seven famous good national writers. And we have uh, a lot of talks and panels, and we critique the manuscripts. It's one of the better writers conferences in the country. We've made a couple of top 10 lists
0: the last few years.
1: So writers should come to that.
0: Does somebody need to write, be published already to attend?
1: No, you have to want to be published. I mean, a, a lot of them, have, some of them have already been published, but um, mostly it's you know, writers who want to write. And when you live in the West, you get pretty isolated and you don't have people to talk to that have the same interest as you. hmm So it's nice to come together with a bunch of people who are kind of obsessed by the same thing you're obsessed by for three days. That's why I started it. I wrote for, I don't know, 15 years in this valley without ever meeting a writer. And so I'm thinking, wouldn't it be cool if we could all get together and talk about it?
0: The first year that you had it, what was the attendance like as far as, because you said so many people are isolated, (laughs) Where shocked was, to see
1: it somebody. Was, it was maybe 40. And the second year was 29. It wasn't good. And then it kind of gradually grew for a while. And then the University of Wyoming was sponsoring it and they weren't really doing a great job. So we went to the Center for the Arts. And at the Center for the Arts, it grew to about 100 uh, registrants and 37, 38 on the faculty. And at Center for the Arts, it, we've done really well there. hmm Hope we do it this year i don't know we've been gone just
0: for two years
1: so we'll see where it happens
0: yeah i should do it
1: yeah you should come well, you love it
0: i i haven't really written anything that anybody wants to read yet
1: well here you're like paying them to read it so they got to read it anyway so you get your critiques and they can tell you how you're doing and you get all jazzed up. That's the main thing a writer's conference says is it gets you really excited and you go home and write like crazy.
0: Are there workshops to write?
1: Yeah, we have workshops. We have keynotes, panels, workshops, readings, critiques, a couple of social events. It's great. And then, you know, this is the stuff that really matters happens out in the lobby between the talks where you talk to the agents and you talk to each other Suddenly you meet a bunch of people like I don't really downhill skier and I don't sell real estate. So I got nothing to do with anybody in this town. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just, you know, it was great to start a writer's conference. Suddenly there's people to talk to.
0: And it's always in the summertime.
1: It's the last weekend of June.
0: Just before the big Fourth of July push.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it used to be that town wasn't really all that crowded in June, but the last couple of years, that's going to change.
0: It, it has been, yeah. It, but it's a
1: good time. The weather is almost always, out of our 30 years, we've only, that I can remember, had snow once that last weekend of June. Weather's usually pretty good, and the second weekend of June, it's not. So we picked the right weekend.
0: Well, the thing about it, snowing the last week in June, if it does, probably the next day it's melted.
1: Oh, yeah. It yeah. was just cold that one year. Mm-hmm. Final dinner and this readings are outside in that tent. Mm -hmm. at the center so it was mostly cold it wasn't really the smell that was a bother but that was only once in 30 years usually it's great
0: Tim I'm enjoying this time with you we do need to take a break to get a word from one of our sponsors which helps pay for this non-public non-published podcast or Mm -hmm. non-word published podcast (laughs) we publish it on the web (laughs) we'll be right back okay For residents looking to reduce their household waste and become better recyclers, look no further than the Recycle Coach app. It's brought to you by Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling. Also available at the Recycling Center is Mattress Recycling. It's new to them and new to us right here in the community. You can take those old mattresses to the Recycling Center so they don't go to the landfill and you can access this Recycling Coach app from your desktop computer, mobile device, and the ever-present digital assistance. The platform makes it easy for you to get local disposal information for thousands of household items and takes the guesswork out of recycling. Visit Teton slash recycle for access. Become a better recycler today and download the Recycle Coach for free. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle and join today. Tim, welcome back. We were just talking about your event in the summertime that you started, Jackson Hole Writers Conference, where you bring in... People in the writing industry from what, all over the world?
1: Sometimes all over the world. Mostly it's all over the country. Okay. The agents and editors are usually out of New York. The writers are from all over the place.
0: Put the word out for anybody living down a long dirt road, isolated dirt road to wants to write, come to the conference.
1: It's especially good for locals because you don't have to pay for the flight to get here or the hotels. Hotels have gotten kind of expensive.
0: You Look at been. how much money they're saving right off the top.
1: <laughs> yeah. So right off the top, you, uh, you're you saving six $700 that everybody else is paying. And you're getting a national conference. I mean, more like 80 90% of our registrants come from at least 100 miles away. So it's, it's not like a local thing so much. And so the locals do really well. They should all sign up and come.
0: I'm, I'm curious about your writing. Did you ever have an interest? I know, I know that you said that two of your books are columns that you write for a publication every year. But did you ever write for a weekly publication or a monthly publication or ever think about writing for as a newspaper columnist in to well, ever take kind of, that aspect?
1: The first book, um, Unauthorized Tales of Jackson Hole. Those were columns in the Jackson Hole News. Oh, okay. I did that for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. That was weekly. And that was kind of fun, but that was a lot of pressure. You couldn't really get away with that anymore, I don't think, because humor's gotten pretty political. I invented a family, a couple of families, and they would all argue local issues, and so I could hit it from both sides. And I made it funny.
0: And you said that's called the Unauthorized Tales from Jackson Hole. That was your first book?
1: Yeah, well, that was the first book of columns.
0: Okay, first book of columns. And you said it was a lot of pressure. And, And I think it's fascinating that you said you couldn't use that humor because of the politics today. But I always remember my mom talking about the Smothers Brothers, how they were so edgy because they would make fun of politicians, especially the president, to where that was a new thing to do back then, and that was in the yeah. 70s, 80s.
1: Yeah, they broke all the new ground. They were the first television show, practically the first comedians to be that edgy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were really good. But I don't know if they could get away with a lot of that now. It's not so much making fun of for the president. I mean, that's always open season. <laughs> but it's groups, you know. Uh, you have to just be more careful now. And I never did any of that anyway. So, but like, I had a couple of columns, uh, there was one about they changed the law so that your gun had to be visible before you got to the national park and it had to be hidden when you were in the national park. So you had to stop at the boundary and take your gun and hide it and then drive on unless it was the other way around. And I wrote that one and I got a couple of death threats out of that. And, uh, No kidding. Some places in Wyoming. And I didn't even say guns were bad. I just said gun laws are stupid, which they were because, you know, for the laws to didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So I got, you know, that was about as political as I got.
0: And and what about um, publications for such as a a weekly magazine or a monthly magazine? Did you ever go that route?
1: I'm not. Right. My talent isn't on short stuff. It takes me like about 100,000 words to make a point. I never could write short stories. Um, novels is about all I can do, and screenplays. Um, it would be nice to write for magazines, but, and also everything I write is fiction. There's not a lot of magazine fiction these days, and what it is is short stories. So all I ever did was novels, and then there were seven or eight years in there, I did screenplays.
0: 100,000 words to make a point on, mm-hmm. on a standard page. How many pages is that? Uh,
1: 400.
0: Okay. You need about
1: 250 words a page if you use a 12 or 14-point font. 25 lines. You know, the first few books were written on a typewriter, a uh, royal typewriter. And then I got to move into computers, and that changed things. And the first drafts are always written on yellow legal pad. So I've got, I can get about three or four pages of actual book on one of those legal pads because I write it over and over and over.
0: You get three or four pages on one legal pad.
1: Well, yeah, I write it three times. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, that's what I did back in the old days. And then the fourth time I would type it up on typewriter paper. And then I would move on the next day and not look back. So you got a book in like six, seven months if you do that.
0: So the word processor and computer was a game changer for you, big time.
1: Not really, because I still wrote longhand the first three drafts. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Because I can change things and fix things and make it better writing longhand. And when I type it, it's kind of harder to go back and change.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, it's easier physically. You can like, if you have a character and you want to change their name, Back when I was using a typewriter, that would take a week. But now it takes five seconds. Mm-hmm. Replace all. So in some ways, it was a game changer. But as far as the actual writing, I'm still using the yellow legal pads.
0: That's, that's amazing. Is that pretty typical of, some, of writers?
1: Uh, there are writers who do it that way. I've heard of a few. Mm-hmm. Especially <laughs> poets. You know, poetry is shorter. And so they'll write it out they'll sit in a coffee shop and write a poem on a piece of paper and then go home and type it up. Um, it's easier if you write outdoors, you know, I, there's a couple of rocks on Taggart Creek and um, some places like that, where I did a lot of writing. There's a bridge up by Jenny Lake that has a nice rock under it where I wrote a lot of stuff.
0: Under the bridge.
1: Yeah. It's the one, like When you're going into, to uh, the trails that go up, you know, towards the mountains mm-hmm. so i'm forgetting a lot of words these days i'm getting old that's all right um but yeah there's a really nice bridge there i wrote a bunch of reviews for the new york times or under that bridge
0: you you're that writing that? reviews for the new york times
1: yeah i wrote 14 reviews for the new york times book review okay i was their western humor guy there for a while That was kind of interesting, but then I got where I would never write a negative review and they fired me. So that's what happened.
0: There's some humor into that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I decided I wasn't going to hurt anybody's feelings. I just wouldn't write a bad review of anything. Every time I wrote a bad review, I ended up on a panel somewhere with the people two years later and I didn't like that.
0: Are, Are you still, would you say that you're still writing full time?
1: No, not really. No, I've been working on this one novel for about five years, and I've written eight or nine drafts now. And I'm pretty sure it's my last novel, but I'm hoping to get it published. And it's pretty interesting. I don't. I've got 150 pages without punctuation, so that's been a lot of fun to write. <laughs> so we'll see where that goes. If anybody wants to publish it,
0: <laughs> and when you talk to people who are interested in entering the field of work to be a writer. What advice do you give them?
1: Oh, gee, you gotta, you really, if you have a choice, you wouldn't do it. Probably. You just, some people have to write in order to live and those people are the ones that will do it. There's the nonfiction magazine work. You can make a fairly decent living doing that. It's a whole lot of work and a lot of organization and, but for novels, you've just got to, it's got to be the most important thing in your life. You can't do it casually. You can't do it in your spare time. So just write and read everything you can get a hold of
0: mm-hmm.
1: and write every day.
0: How much time would you spend each day writing?
1: Well, that's varied over the years quite a bit. Um, on Western Swing, I was writing from 10 to noon, 2 to 4, 6 to 8, and 10 to midnight. And that gave me my three drafts and my rereading and typing. But I haven't maintained that level of stuff in a long time. That was my second novel. Um, if you Usually you do it more by pages than time, because if you say I'm going to write for one hour, you can just sit there and look at a piece of paper for an hour and mm-hmm. say I did it. But if you do it by pages, two pages a day will get you a novel in less than a year. Sex and Sunsets, I did uh, first draft was four pages and the second one was two and the third one was six a day. That's the only time I've ever really kept track.
0: That's a, um, a at least from my perspective, that's an impressive cadence of sitting down and of not sitting down, but uh, committing yourself to writing a novel.
1: You can write a page in uh, like a half hour or even 15 minutes if you know what you're going to say before you sit down. Mm -hmm. It's the daydreaming between the actual writing that is the hardest part, I suppose, or that takes the most time.
0: Well, it could be the fun part.
1: (laughs) You have to protect your daydreaming time. You can't have hobbies or things. I had to have jobs, but I had these mindless jobs where I could daydream uh, dialogue and things like that at the work. That was helpful. If I got a job that looked like it was going to become a career, I quit. Cause I had to stay desperate
0: and pull you away from your writing.
1: Yeah. I didn't want that. No. So that was a long time ago.
0: Well, Tim, if people wanted to connect with you, what is a good way for them to say, email you,
1: uh, Tim at Jackson hole writers conference.com.
0: And do you guys have a website there too?
1: Yeah. It's jhwriters.org, I think, now. It's changed um, recently. What I gotta do is Google Jackson Hole Writers Conference, and it'll take you there. And then there's places where you can connect with um, one of us. Or if you just want to talk to me about writing, email me and we'll talk about writing. As soon as COVID's over, we'll go out for coffee and talk. I live for going out for coffee and talking.
0: Where Do you have a... An- place where you enjoy going to get coffee?
1: Oh, I had a ball pretty much. It depends on the time of year and the weather. Pearl Street, Persephone, picnic.
0: Were you ever a Lee Jay's sportsman's cafe guy?
1: Uh, I worked at the Elkhorn, which is the predecessor to Lee huh. I was living outside Victor, and I had to put on snow tires to get to the road and then take them off and drive to the pass and put them on and drive over the pass and take them off and drive to the Elkhorn, which was the worst job in the Valley. It was a terrible, it was a 24 hour restaurant. It wasn't near as good as Lee Jay's, but Lee ran it at that time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he went off later with his brother Jay and made Lee Jay's. But, um, so I was kind of in the, before Lee Jay's era there.
0: I want to go back to that snow tire thing. You would take all four of your tires off. Put on different uh, chains. Oh, the chains.
1: It? Yeah, back then it was chains. I haven't had chains for my car in a long time, but uh, and putting chains off on that, there's that long stretch as you're coming up from the Idaho side. I would always get stuck there and have to crawl under the car. I was younger and uh it was a real pain in the butt. That would have been 77, 78, somewhere like that.
0: And you couldn't run the chains coming down the pass or you just didn't need them once when you got over the pass.
1: Once you got over the pass, you don't want to ride drive with chains on your car on dry pavement. Oh, bad yeah. Things happen. They break and drop around your brake line. It's kind of the worst thing that happens. Or, you know, they're just bad for the car. But I haven't had a pair of chains in what is it? I guess 40 years now.
0: Well all those all-wheel drive cars makes a big, big difference.
1: Yeah, I've got a four-wheel drive right now. It's perfect. Yeah. Gets well, me where I need to go.
0: I bet it does. Tim, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and thank you for sharing your humor.
1: Well, thanks for talking to me. It was great.
0: Yeah. This was, this was really nice. And um, thanks for being an impact in our community. And I'm sure some people will listen and uh, reach out to you for the Jackson Hole Writers Conference.
1: Great. That would be fun. Hey, a Tim. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Appreciate Take it. care. Bye. Thank you.
0: Bye. To learn more about Tim and his life as a writer and Valley resident, visit the Jacksonhole Connection.com, episode number one hundred and seventy-six. Thank you, everybody, who helps keep this podcast on the air. To all of you listeners, support our sponsors, to editor and marketing director Michael Morey, who's edited every single episode of this podcast. And of course, my lovely wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William. Keep in mind, Valentine's Day is coming up, so get out there and do something for your Valentine. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of The Jackson Hole Connection.